This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Bitheads. They are a staple in the tech community I come from and have done incredible work over the past 18 years with some of the largest brands in the world, including The Simpsons, Tapped Out, Box, Optimal Payments, The New York Times, among many, many, many others. All told, they've built over 500 solutions from enterprise to entertainment. I'm proud to have them as a part of Untether.tv. Please support us by supporting them. Go to bitheads.com. everybody and welcome to untether.tv. I'm your founder and host Rob Woodbridge. Obviously what I cover quite a bit here on untether.tv is everything in the mobile industry obviously the pervasive computing, wearables and this thing called the Internet of Things, IOT for short. You've heard a lot of episodes about it and I've got a very special guest today that's going to be talking about uh, actually his company it's called Spark.io. His name is Zach Sapala. He's the founder and the CEO, and really, this is this is their broad statement. Spark OS is a complete open source operating system for cloud-connected things. And we're going to be talking about what that means, what it's like to be an open source company, how he's going to market the product, how he's going to sell the product, um, what the opportunity is in this space, and what he sees going forward as the impact of what they're doing on this whole IoT massive, massive, massive industry. Some say it's gonna be bigger than everything we've seen before, which is in sequence because everything that we are experiencing now is bigger than what we saw before. I'm gonna stop speaking. I'm gonna bring Zach in right now. Zach, welcome to untether.tv. Thank you for coming by and sharing your story. Yeah, of course, thanks for having me. So, uh, complicated story, you are in an Airbnb uh, house in San Francisco, no, in, <laughs> no, in, where you're, you're in, in, I'm in Seattle, Portland. In Portland, okay. Yeah. Here at an open source convention, uh, so uh, taking a quick trip to Portland from San Francisco. But uh, you have just you've just moved your company from mm -hmm. Minneapolis mm -hmm. to uh, San Francisco. Just the w the weather finally got you. It had to be that, right? Just like, <laughs> yeah, forget much. it. I'm Canadian. Actually, we moved just when it got really nice in Minneapolis. Oh. We should have moved in like February. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah. but yeah, we just we just moved our company to to San Francisco. You know, it's one of these things we had we we started in Minneapolis about two years ago, um, and have we had a great time building the company there. And as we get bigger and bigger, sort of felt like the right time for us to move to the Bay Area, like startups do, right? <laughs> it's it's the migration, right? Yeah, exactly. there's a nat natural flock. You know, in the winter, all of our birds fly south and. All startups head out west. That's exactly right. what happened. So um, t let's let's start at the very beginning. What is Spark? I described it as this operating mm -hmm. system, open source operating system that is is supposed to enable the connection of all of these cloud connected uh, devices and things. Mm -hmm. uh, go a little bit deeper on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so we have an operating system called Spark OS, and this is an operating system specifically designed for connected devices, connected to things, not computers, not smartphones, but all the other stuff. Um, right, and what's funny about products like that is what you need from an operating system is very different from what you need um, on a computer or a phone, because when we think about operating systems, we think, well, my computer runs like Mac, uh, Mac OS or Linux, and my phone runs Android or iOS, um, and it's like we've got a beefy processor in your computer, or whatever that runs the software stack and that provides the interface for your screen, your trackpad, your keyboard, it gives you the desktop and, and lets people build apps on that platform, right? We need the same thing in the Internet of Things, but the structure of it is different because um, 
the chip in your coffee maker or light bulb or whatever um, isn't doesn't have anything near the pro the power or the memory that the one in your computer has. Um, and if it did, then it would be very expensive. And so we want to figure out a way to do all those cool, complex things in a very constrained environment. And so that's so our operating system is a distributed operating system where basically you connect a device to the cloud and um, the interface, which is your phone or your computer or whatever, also to the cloud. And so the sort of center, it's like you have a central brain for your product. If you have thousands of connected light bulbs in the world, then you have kind of one application or a set of applications running in the cloud that like run your fleet of connected products. It's sort of the way we the way we think about it. Uh, well, uh, we're going to get into the, the the genesis of this idea, but what 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 is your background? I got a thousand questions just from that. <laughs> so what, my yeah, what is your background to get here? Like, how did you how did you arrive at this thesis, and how do you arrive at Spark? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I started. Um, I'm like a business guy by background, I guess. Um, and I um, decided too late I should have been an engineer and was a management <laughs> consultant for a while. And Oh, how um, terrible. Right. Yeah, I was one of those guys. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you didn't tell me that. This interview would never have happened, man. <laughs> no, it's, I just actually sold all of my like consulting clothes. All of my <laughs> blue button downs and my like gray slacks, I just I actually just got rid of. Like um, bulk to the next new guy right here. Yeah, you're 19. Exactly. This is your starter package. Right? This is it. <laughs> Sorry. Now I wear, no, wear t-shirts. <laughs> um, but so, uh, so I was a management consultant and then I was frustrated with that and I went to, I went to school um, uh, MBA and a master's in engineering management. While I was there, I got really excited about entrepreneurship. But I saw like other MBAs, there's this pattern of people like you write your business plan and then you go like troll the undergrad CS department to look for your technical co-founder. Right. And I didn't like that. So it's I was like, well, I've always it's, it's wanted dating. to be an engineer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I want, I've always wanted to be a bad or an engineer. So well, I don't. I should just like figure this stuff out. And so I spent a lot of my time in school like learning. I got an Arduino. I started learning like electrical engineering and uh, software development, and I built our first prototypes. Um, and actually, it started. Spark started with a connected lighting product. Um, we um, we were. Can, can we? I gotta ask Zach. What's the time frame here? Oh, sure. So this was. We're, we're now in like okay, January two thousand twelve. So God. okay, like two two and a bit years ago. Yeah, two and a half years ago. So I wanted to. This started because my dad's deaf, and I wanted to make a product. That would let that would make his lights flash when my mom texted him. So he and the whole deaf community have this problem that like they have these hardwired systems so that when somebody rings the doorbell, the lights will flash. But now he's got a cell phone, and my mom tries to get a hold of him, and he takes his phone out and puts it aside, and then like she can't get in touch with him. Um, so I wanted to just make his lights flash when he got a text. Um, and of course, that was like, well, okay, now his lights need to be internet connected. So I'm going to make internet connected lights. Oh, but if I make internet connected lights, they have to, they should do all these cool things. And I really don't like the version of the Internet of Things where it's like remote control. Right. Oh, now I have a button that I can press to turn on my lights from my smartphone. That's okay. That's gimmicky and sort of slightly novel. But what's way more interesting is that my lights turn off when the sun goes down, or mm -hmm. sorry, turn on when the sun goes down, um, and do like real automated behaviors. That required building you know, a platform for that. Um, we launched this lighting product on Kickstarter late 2012, it was called the Spark Socket, unsuccessful. Um, we were asking for 250,000, we got 125. Oh. So we 
went back to the drawing board, but there was still something there, right? That's a six-digit raise. So, like, okay, people wanted it. We had 1,600 so, customers. So, Zach, my brother's deaf, right? He, so, he's 35, right? Okay. And he's been deaf since he was a year old uh, mm -hmm. from meningitis. So, I, it completely, uh, that's something that would have been, he's got this, this um, alarm clock that goes under his bed that uh -huh. basically shakes the entire block. Right? Oh, yeah. Geek and it wakes yeah. everybody else around him. And that's his, <laughs> so he doesn't have a snooze button. It goes off if he doesn't wake up. It wakes everybody else in the house up to come and wake him <laughs> up, right? So, anyways, I, yeah, that it sounds like I love that product, honestly. Yeah. And and you know, uh, having a having a, a deaf sibling, uh, smartphones for me were the godsend, right? Because he uh, he doesn't know how to sign. He uh, my parents taught him to uh, to speak, um, and uh, and he went through normal school. But um, but it was always a gap in communication, especially when he lived in Vancouver. So f yeah. for us to be able to text, it was so I, technology for the deaf uh, mm -hmm. ha has amazed me because that has been enabled by these devices. So I just yeah, had to yeah, totally. have that conversation. And for me, like, you know, what's funny is I, I came at it in a funny direction because I actually wanted to take the things that the deaf community had and give them to the hearing community. Sure. Right? It's like my like the lights flash in my house when I was growing up all the time. Right. And it's actually a really good way to like find something out about the world yes I was like, we should all have that right our, yeah. our world should just like things should happen around us to let us know that stuff's going on like your lights should flash when somebody mentions you in a tweet right maybe if that's <laughs> if you're interested in that yeah. if you want to be informed right yeah. it's a great passive way to like share information so i, I it's fun i like kind of half came out of being like okay well i, I want to solve a problem for my dad but i also was like i want to take all these things that the deaf community have that are really cool and and share them with the rest of the world Right. It's it's sort of a yeah, you talk about you talk about the like the usability, right? The simplicity of these things that have such profound impact. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, I, and that's what I think about. But the greatest thing that my brother was always he had hearing aids um, until his, uh, you know, it just was progressively got worse and worse. And so he can't mm -hmm. wear hearing aids, but he used to have them over his ears and, you know, a big uh, pack here and on his chest. But the greatest thing that he used to be able to do was turn them off. Right? right. So if he needed to concentrate on something, I, like he could, I, like, and this sounds ridiculous, but th there are moments in time where the hearing would just like to just shut it down. Like when I'm writing, right. I just want to, I just need to tune everything out. Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing that if anybody could just allow me with not white noise, <laughs> just to turn off noise for like an hour, it would be right. great. Anyways, we're way off topic here and I don't mean to do that, but <laughs> all right. So back, that was the inspiration for this whole thing. So, so we came out of that Kickstarter campaign um, and you know, decided what was most exciting was just the idea that you could take something that hasn't changed for a long time and now you've got all this infrastructure. We've all got smartphones, we've all got Wi-Fi. There's, there's things that are true that weren't true before, right? And we can take advantage of that and, and rethink how products should work in a connected world. Um, but we didn't see as many people doing that as we expected to. Like it's, it's such a big opportunity and yet it's there still aren't that many great products, right? It's it's still relatively few, maybe a half dozen that are worth buying, um, and and so we thought, well, why is that? Well, it turns out it's really difficult to build a product and build it well and build it so that it actually does something awesome. Um, and we had built a lot of this for this lighting product, so we thought, well, what if we took this infrastructure that we've built and sold that as a product so that other people can make amazing connected products? in all sorts of areas, right? Consumer, industrial, commercial. Uh, and, um, and that turned into a second Kickstarter campaign for a dev kit called the Spark Core that's like a little sort of chip uh, development tool for creating Wi-Fi connected products. 
And this time we were asking for $10,000 and raised almost $600,000 in 30 days. So different outcome uh, and put us on the path around now. You're a little conservative this time. You think, oh, at least we got to hit our target. You got a little strategic, right. didn't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, it's, it's a different product. It doesn't have plastic. So it was a lot cheaper to make. And we were in China also when we did this. So we like... We had like learned how to do things quick and dirty. Yeah. We're like, ah, we can make them. If we sell a hundred of them, we can make them by hand. Like, I've got tweezers and a soldering iron. Like, we can do that. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, and then the campaign blew up. We hit our goal in an hour and a half. So. An hour and a half. What What do you think the difference was? Just that people were looking for this type of of, of product versus the other one, a bigger market. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know we scratched an itch that was definitely there. Um, there are, there were, and are an ex extraordinary amount of entrepreneurs who are excited about this space mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs and engineers and, and students and artists and designers and like this whole group that wants to get into this um, and they didn't have the tools, right? So the barrier was really high. So I think we scratched a, an itch that was there um, in, a, in a really fundamental way and that, you know, blew up for us. What do you do with that? So you're in China when this is happening? Yeah. What, are you, what were you doing in China? Management consultant? Uh, or drinking at that particular moment. <laughs> okay. um, no, actually, I. Uh, <laughs> so we were we were there at part of an incubator program called Accelerator yep. for hardware startups that's based in Shenzhen. So it's like when you want to make a thing, you go to Shenzhen where all the things are made and learn how to make things. Um, we also we 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 launched our Kickstarter campaign at 10 p.m. in China, which was 10 a.m. in Central Time uh, yep. U.S. Yep. Uh, and so every time we hit a thousand dollars, we would take a drink, um, <laughs> since it was the middle of the night for us, um, which quickly, of course the campaign went really well. So that quickly devolved. It's like centurions, right? Basically you're done a <laughs> hundred shots in a, in a hundred minutes. What, what, um, yep. so, so you're in China, uh, doing, you're incubated there to build this product, right? Is that mm -hmm. what I'm, okay. Uh, yeah, then, exactly. then, um, you you blow through the ten thousand mm -hmm. uh, dollars, which was your goal, and you're up to six. Like, what do you do with when, when you look at that and you look at six hundred thousand? Like, what, what's your reaction to that? Like, good God! Like, what do you do? I mean, you know, for us, the nice thing is we had learned, we we knew how to deal with that, right? Like, we had learned the skills being in China. We were in China for four months, mm -hmm. so we learned how to manufacture stuff or how to get things manufactured. We'd never done it before, but we knew the process, so we felt very prepared for that campaign. Um, and we knew it was going to be, you know, it was going to be a process to actually ship the product. But as the numbers kept going up, we're like, okay, well, this is awesome because we have proven that this is something that people want and we've proven the markets there. And now, you know, we, we have, we have the money. So the next step for us is to just put our heads down and deliver on our, deliver on our promises and make these, this growing population, our community really happy. What, how, many, how many products did you have to ship to fulfill the $600,000? We shipped, I think for the, that was 10,000 Spark Course. 10,000. Um, so you... To 61 countries. 61 countries. Yeah. That was actually the biggest pain. Like, uh, customs. <laughs> no kidding. No yeah. kidding. And, but, so, so was that the biggest challenge you found? Like, I, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who have done this, right? Hardware. They raised, mm -hmm. they, they surpassed their goal by, you know, X times, they're mm -hmm. ecstatic, and then they realize that they don't have enough money to actually manufacture the product, right? Mm -hmm. Because they haven't gone through that whole process. They've done prototypes, not even. So they're in their living room, like all day, all night, as you said, soldering a very complex piece of machinery um, yep. and, and delays and delays and delays. So their biggest challenge was manufacturing, but it seems like you had that in hand. Right. 
And are you saying that mm-hmm. the biggest challenge for you was then to to actually ship it, or was it? Uh, you know, I think the biggest. Well, that's a great question. What was the biggest challenge? Um, I think the biggest challenge was to meet to meet our own expectations for how well it should work. Right? We wanted this. We wanted to basically be like, this should be magical, right? This should be. Well, the point of this is to make it easier. So it really better be easy, right? Um, and we had really high expectations for how easy it was. The actual things we had to do on the technical engineering side to make it that easy were really like uh, that was tough right yeah. it's but there was a lot of like just software development work that was really tricky to get the experience that we wanted where you just plugged it in and it worked that was what we were shooting for and we got there but that was actually I think the software development path was much longer than the was was sort of trickier and and more complex than than a lot of the hardware development was did you guys deliver on time to your to your community? <laughs> Um, not exactly. We were three months delayed. Okay. But in the Kickstarter world, three months delayed is like basically on time. It's like slam. Um, that is in. That is done. <laughs> That's a record. Right. And and also, I think we did a really good job of um, being extremely transparent about what was happening behind the scenes. So we never actually had customers really. We never had people complaining about mm-hmm. about our delays. Um, we had this status page that like showed a bar graph of where we were and like. We were we had this big red thing that was like we are two months delayed, and I think people appreciated the fact that we weren't trying to be like like we had this like giant badge of yeah. how late we were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was red. Well, and that makes it that makes a big difference. Um, but I mean, you've got to think that people who who fund Kickstarters mm-hmm. should never expect product. You know what I mean? Like there's there's right. a weird expectation that it's actually um, I'm buying the product, and where is it? Damn it! But but. They're, what they're doing is putting money into a hope that you can, right. you know, fulfill your hypothesis and actually achieve what you want, which is build your product. And if you can't, meh. like that, that's that's the way I always when I put money into Kickstarter, it's like I, I hope. I mean, I did with these guys, which is um, the fit, uh, the shine, yeah, the right, misfit shine. And I was, I hoped, right? That's it's like here, here's 150 bucks, mm-hmm. please. Yeah. And, and they delivered, right? Um, but when I interviewed Sonny Vu about this, he said they raised a whole lot of money. And they right. said that there was no way. They'd raised about $6.5 million prior to that. And then they went on Kickstarter. They said there's no way they could have fulfilled the product uh, right. and shipped with the money that they raised on Kickstarter. So it's a big... I always I always caution, like, there's always right. success. And then you can be you can fail despite your success in, in Kickstarter. Right. I, think, I think that, like, one of the tricky things is... When you want to make your product beautiful, we don't have to make our product beautiful. It's a circuit board. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's beautiful in its own way. Um, if you're <laughs> if you're into that kind of thing, it's a gorgeous circuit board. But like, it's different than making like a beautiful little stainless steel thing, yeah. right? And I think actually that's the stuff that's really expensive to make something that has that Apple like quality yeah. to the product is hard. Yeah. So that's actually I would say a red flag on Kickstarter campaigns often is if you see something with that level of polish. Um, that's it's going to be hard for them to deliver. Sonny and his team are a little bit different because like they already had that skill set internally. Sonny was Sonny was set up to do it and yes. just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Um, but most people aren't like Sonny. No, they have a hope and a dream. <laughs> no, most people aren't like Sonny, and that's uh that that's why I mean he he could deliver in a beautiful product onto that. And so sure. so you went through that. You raised you do the six hundred thousand. You, you're you're in China. You finish mm-hmm. you finish that uh, program. Obviously, you finish mm-hmm. the uh, accelerator. Um, th- then you came back to the states, and mm-hmm. uh, and and so what is your what is your next step after you ship these products? What is sure. your next step with with uh, Spark? Well, so I mean, we we started shipping <clears throat> we started shipping in November of last year, um, 
it's now it's now what july july like end of july um yeah. so we you know since then we've now shipped something like thirty thousand spark cores wow, way to go to it's amazing you. isn't it yeah it's fun um to something like twenty thousand um people yeah um and what we've discovered we didn't really know who these people were right or five six thousand backers like what what do they want right why did they like this why do they want this and it turns out that a lot more of them had professional intent with the product than you might necessarily expect right so like we we're selling it to makers and hackers and like it was very um, the campaign was designed with that in mind how much, were you sell- of, how much were you selling them for at that point uh, 39 okay just for the circuit board yeah yeah exactly um, and uh, and we discovered that so 60% of our backers have engineer in their title um, now whether they're using it at the, their, their day job or not um, it, d- it depends but a lot of people were either wanted to use it at work or were building, like we're entrepreneurs who are using it to build pro- to prototype product that they want to bring to market. And so we then saw this opportunity to say, okay, great. Well, we've created a great prototyping tool. And this is, makes it easier for you to build very quickly a very powerful um, like demonstration of a product. Yep. But then you have the path from prototype to um, delivering a product to market. right? And there's also, I think, a lot of opportunity to smooth that path. Um, and um, and that's sort of where we're turning our attention to now. So when you when you want a, to make a thing, you want to make it work. You have to figure out stuff like how is it going to talk, and how do I secure it, and how do I make like how do I send my coffee maker a signal to brew a cup of coffee, right? When you have a hundred thousand coffee makers, you add on all the problems of okay, well, how do I manage this, right? Like how can I oversee my fleet? And make sure that everything's working well, and that when a coffee maker breaks, it spits out an error, and we can call the person and be like, "Your coffee maker broke. You should, either you should fix it, or we'll send someone over to fix it for you, right? Yeah. Or push out firmware updates, or like analyze the data to figure out how like how to make the product better." So that's where we're sort of shifting our attention to now to extend this prototyping tool into a production environment, so that people can ship real product, and we can help them with that. And and so the, your business is is creating the the, the boards that go into these product. Well, actually, it has a lot more to do with the cloud the cloud software. Okay. So the you can think of the board like a like a gateway to the cloud. Yeah. Um, and it's the thing that you put in your product that like um, that provides the connection and the software that hooks it up to the cloud service. Um, the um, the our business model is well, of course, we sell these dev kits, but we sell them pretty cheap. Um, and really, it's more about well, when some percentage of our customers scale up, we provide like a, the cloud service, hosted cloud service, right. um, for large scale products. So when you go buy a million of these things, you don't actually buy. We won't sell you a million chips because that we wouldn't be cost effective at doing so. Um, you, it's an open source hardware design, and so you can go buy the components from your big semiconductor companies. They manufacture. Go buy this. Yeah, exactly. Go buy the chip from TI and this one from ST and these. You know. You sort of have a professional supply chain, but then we um, we sell the software that makes it keep working the same way in develop in production that it did in development. Yeah. So I mean, why why make that shift? So you you built the original. You've got this mm-hmm. kit. Um, mm-hmm. Was it just is it too hard to scale a business that all you're doing is selling chips? No, it's not that it's hard to scale. It's that we don't have a lot of value to add there. Um, when you get to when you're doing things in huge quantities, like. You don't need us in your supply chain. We it's it's like if we were there, then we would be taking money out to cover the risk and the inventory costs and all that stuff, and we just don't have to. Like it's 
um, we have to be there to help you in small quantities because if you were to try and make one of these, like one of them, that would be a pain. Um, but when you go to make a million, like okay, there pl- the manufacturing stuff is pretty straightforward. So we don't we don't help there, right. but we do help on the software because that becomes the tricky part at scale. Is like how do you have a extremely scalable backend for your product um, that works in like a real production environment and gives your customers the experience that they want? Um, so that's where we can help at scale. So how do you? And I can imagine that that you know trying to sell your chip into somebody else's device, right? Selling mm-hmm. your design into a coffee maker. I mean, that's a sales cycle that nobody should ever have to go through, right? You, right. Because you, the moment you start to sell it today, I mean, it's going to take you three, four, five, fifteen years to get into mm-hmm. uh, into some of these devices, and that kind of defeats the purpose. So, you know, l- let go of the hardware stuff. Focus mm-hmm. on the smarts in the cloud. I mean, it's obviously it's very smart. Was it hard for you to come to that conclusion, or was it just drop dead simple? I mean, it's you know, it's actually kind of what we had intended um, uh, from the beginning. Um, if you look, I actually I just published a blog post um, announcing our fundraising and and um, the Spark OS thing to our customers, um, and I included in it a page from my pitch deck in January two thousand twelve when I uh, when I started the company that basically it, it the pitch the page says uh, um, the smart home is like a uh, is like a product without an operating system. And it shows, like, okay, you've got computers and they've got Windows. You've got the hardware guys. So in, in computer PCs, it's like Dell and um, you know, HP. And then you've got Windows providing the operating system. And then you've got applications like Microsoft Office right? mm-hmm. and, and things like that. In smartphone, you've got, with a smartphone, you've got Samsung and uh, LG as the manufacturers of the product. And then you've got Android as the operating system. And then the applications are Angry Birds, and right, and then on the smart home, it's like okay, well, you've got Samsung and Honeywell, and you know, and then the operating system is blank question yeah. mark, and therefore the applications are also blank. Like right. you can't do cool stuff with these products because there is no operating system layer. Um, and so it's funny because now what we're, we're doing today with Spark OS is basically the culmination of the vision that I first had when I started making the lighting products two and a half years ago. So, I mean, I the idea of an IoT operating system is absolutely fascinating, right? Simply because of, of exactly that is, you know, there's not one provider that when just take take your house or take your office. There isn't one provider that provides everything that you need mm-hmm. that would work together in order to be able to do this. And I've I've talked to a bunch of companies that have built like Revolve that builds mm-hmm. a piece of hardware that kind of terminates everything into an you know one device. That is controlled by one app, right? So you can mm-hmm. have all these disparate IoT um, things in one central spot. Um, but what you're talking about is is taking your thermostat, your toaster, your television, your lights, your alarm system, your locks, your car, your garage door opener, um, your microwave, your oven, your what, whatever people want to think about a, a you know a, an internet connected washer and dryer. All of these things, and they become interoperable if they're if they have your chip design in them through your cloud operating system. Well, that's true, but there's also a step before that, which is like before you connect all the things, you have yeah. to have the things be connectable, right? right? And I think we're still in this phase. Like, you know, I look at what companies like Revolve and and similar. There's a there's a number of companies that are trying to play this like um, connective tissue of the Internet of Things, right? Yeah. Get all the different things to talk to each other. Um, but I still believe there's a pre there's a preceding problem, which is that there aren't enough good things to be even worth connecting, <laughs> right. right? Like, well, I can name them right the here. Cases, right? You right? can name like, them on your hand. Yeah, you go yeah. through the use cases, and you're like, okay, there's like, 
You've got the Nest, you've got the Hue, you've got like Lockatron, you've got, yeah, but, you know, three so, or four others. But, but Zach, even the Hue, it, like, that's just an excuse, right? Right. Like the Hue is not a reason. It's not like a connect, like, it is a connected thing, but it's not, it's not something that would make the average person say, oh my God, I've seen the light, I've seen the light, but you know, right. it, it's not, it's not a must have, right? Right. Well, so here's where, and this is a great example, like to talk about Spark OS and why it's relevant. Right is like just take the hue. Right, imagine you go buy a connected light, connected light bulb, and of course this is where we come from. So we're like all yeah. we get all jazzed about this stuff. So um, I want my lights to turn on when the sun goes down. Right, right. Like I need a system that's going to connect them all together. Right, and it, with Philips Hue, it doesn't have that. It just has like um, it's sort of local connection. Right? right, and and all I can do is have the remote control. So that's where you can take a product like Hue and add. Value. Spark OS, and now you get a really compelling product, right? right? It's still standalone, like it doesn't, yeah, okay, you know, it, maybe it can connect to Nest and other, all these other things, but for now, you've just built an amazing connected lighting product. Now, okay, let's say, fast forward two years, we've, we've got a bunch of different products, they're, they're using Spark OS, and really with that, it means like everybody kind of has their own operating system, right? Like it's, you know, Philips has got their thing and all these other companies, and then now you can start to talk about connecting them together, right? And uh, sneakily, we have we have snuck in all this great open API stuff, so that when you get to the point, you're like, okay, now I want to get my thing to talk to this thing. Oh, that's really easy. Like, basically, you like flip a switch, and now they're connected to each other. And so it's like we're building this stuff for a world that doesn't exist yet, and like sneaking it into the tech stack, so that. One day these products will be awesome. One in the meantime, day. we'll just help get the things online in the first place. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I love that. I love the vision, and and I know there's there are people that are listening or watching this thinking like, it's hard to envision today what that means. So uh, you mm-hmm. know, I talk, you you know, you talk about the the fact that um, you can put some sensors, um, it, you know, around uh, your house and. Uh, with your automated uh, sprinkler system, when it's uh, you know the weather says it's going to be 33 degrees Celsius and dry, you can automatically turn on. You, you know you can. People have these those kinds of visions, but I think it's hard for a lot of people to envision the need mm-hmm. for all of these things today. Um, right. And and do you think that it starts like way back to your father to my brother? Is that mm-hmm. it starts with these simple use cases where um, it, it can be brought into their lives to enhance somebody's life, like the deaf, um, for, for right. lights or for simple things um, around security, personal security around mm-hmm. your home, and and the things that you you forget, like you know uh, my brother. There's a great story that just uh, broke on CNN, maybe two or three or four days ago at this time where there was a kid that was just a deaf kid that was sitting in his room reading as fire and alarms raged around him, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no, unless it's visual. Um, and and uh, so you can start to see how IoT and an operating system for your home can say like, you know what, um, you know, he's over here, but the burner's on here. So there's, a, there's a, you know, an automatic reaction that happens to shut that down, right? Mm-hmm. It's, Long question, but is that where it starts? Where where the fundamental, uh, where it's a fundamental issue, and this can solve those issues? Yeah, I mean, I think that <clears throat> it starts with simple use cases, and then it it evolves into more complex ones that are harder to picture upfront. Right. But like, as an example, right? Like, um, GE has a product called the Brilliant Connected Oven, and I hear connected oven, and I'm like, oh, cool! I can preheat my oven when I'm on my home, way home from work. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Sure. So, very simple value proposition, right? Yeah. It takes 45 minutes to preheat my oven. I want to have it. Uh, uh, I want to do that from when I get home, when I leave work, so that it's ready when I get home. Now, the problem with the Brilliant Oven is that it doesn't actually. Uh, you can only connect it, control it on your local network. <laughs> so it's missing this like. That's what. That's where we come in, right? It's like, oh, you can only control it from your local network. Where okay, well then I can turn it on from my couch, but that's not that helpful. It's that's all right. Lazy. It's all right, but yeah. Um, right. It's way better if I can do it from work. Yeah. So that's where, like, okay, we do the cloud backend. It means that you can control from anywhere. Like that's where we add value to start, yeah. right? Yeah. Is making things like that possible, and then down the road you've got okay you. So now I end up with my connected stove, and then I have a Nest Protect or some other connected uh, um, smoke detector. And a smoke detector detects smoke. Well, if it can, if you have a connected oven, it can be like, wait, okay, is the oven on? If the oven's on and I detect smoke, shut the oven off, right? Before anything else happens, before I contact the police, before I tell you, like, let's just take a hypothesis of why this might be and just kill it, yeah. right? Um, maybe that's aggressive, but it's at least a starting point. Um, and um, and now, and that became from a product that was compelling on its own, right? An internet-connected uh, smoke detector. And another product that was compelling on its own, uh, and now we've combined them and are doing something that you like. This is like emergent technology, right? Like things happen when these things can talk to each other. But first, we have to come up with a reason to connect the oven and the smoke detector individually on their own before we can start to like come up with those interactions. Right, and it's like the 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 compelling nature of uh, keyless entry. Right, mm -hmm. or you know, app-based entry, and and you're staring, staying in an Airbnb, and that's a that's a fascinating reason to do it, right? Is that mm -hmm. instead of handing off keys, you get a temporary code that unlocks the door, and you walk in. Um, totally. and, and so you start to think about opportunities around, you, you know, those things, the entranceways and and stoves, right? And mm -hmm. uh, there's a company here in Ottawa that had a uh, sensor that did that, that does uh, temperature, you know, house temperature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when your temperature in your house elevates, get alarms, do the th same thing, shut the toaster off, turn off all electricity. Do whatever it takes in order to be able to mitigate uh, potential damage. Um, right. But yeah, I, simple things like that. But you're right. Like the vision. When I talk about IoT, when I hear people talk about IoT, there's a and then and so and why would I use it? Right. right? Those are the questions. Right. Because it opens up your garage door when you're in proximity to your door. No, that's not right. the reason. But it's the first reason. That's what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that those, those these the the products that are most valuable come from like um, incredible entrepreneurs like Tony Fidel, right? Uh, founder of Nest, yeah. completely rethought how a thermostat should work, and he's done an amazing job. And and Sonny, I think with with uh, 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 Mr. China is yeah. another is another great example. Yeah. Those are the people who change the world, right? And um, we want to take the barriers out from in front of those people so that they can create incredibly compelling products, um, and they don't have to face Tony. Tony Fidel is, was in. An, you know, coming out of Apple, he could raise a bunch of money up front to like build out this huge infrastructure to make a product like Nest, yeah. right? But most people, even if you have his like his brain, right? If you, even if you have that level of creativity, um, you probably don't have the resume, and so it might be hard for you to raise all that money up front. So, uh, so if we can make it easier for you, then we can we can take down the barriers for for great entrepreneurs to create great products. And that will hopefully move this whole thing forward. It's uh, it's kind of a mix of altruism, hope, and uh, and vision, right? Is that uh, that's mm -hmm. what that's what ends up happening, and that's what entrepreneurship is really, because uh, right. you're dedicating a lot of time and a lot of resources to th something you hope takes off. Mm -hmm. um, but the way that you're marketing this is fascinating, and I want to I want to touch on that in a minute or two. But uh, you have raised money, 
based on mm -hmm. what, what you're doing. So you, you, you did the Kickstarter, mm -hmm. uh, $600,000. And mm -hmm. then you came back, came to the States, picked up your stuff, moving to San Francisco. Um, what was the process of raising uh, for a company like this? Was it, is this the right, was it the right time to go out and raise money for this idea? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, we're doing something new and weird. And um, to do <laughs> is that, that how you pitched it? Yeah, this is exactly. new and that's, really weird. That's the, that's the front page of my uh, pitch deck. It's a terrible pitch deck. I sold my um, suits and this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> but it requires a certain type of investor, right? Someone who is, is, you know, it's like weird. You're not just investing in a mobile app right now, right? Like I can't give you necessarily the clear metrics that show how this is all going to work out. Like this is this is complex and it's new and different, and and so it requires somebody who's who's forward thinking. Um, I think it also requires um, just a sort of um, trust in the way in our approach, which is very community driven, right? Like we're building a community around this product, um, an engineering community, because we believe that engineering tools succeed when they build strong communities. Um, and so we found great investors, and I actually think, like, the, you know, the reality is we started this process. Like, we got back from um, China during the uh, Kickstarter campaign for the Spark Core, and we started the conversations with our investors today, a year ago. Um, and the uh, the feedback that we got from all the people that we ended up raising money from was super cool. Uh, you're not quite there yet, um, but you've got your Kickstarter money, so um, hmm. so ship. And then come back and talk to us, right? And then when we came back, we we were in a much different position because we had shipped the product, we had learned why our customers wanted this, and we had enterprise customers knocking on our door saying like, "Hey, we like what you're doing and we want to use it." And that means that when we raised money, we were in this great position um, to uh, to be selective and um, and then ended up getting investors on board who are like so aligned with our vision um, and are I couldn't be more excited about them. So we're. Because of I think what Kickstarter and crowdfunding um, did for us, it put us in a great position to grow the way that we wanted to. It's a great learning experience, boy. Yeah. Well, you know, you said something. I mean, it's really interesting. I was going to ask you, what does it take to build this community? Because, you know, you're building a community is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Building a product, a hardware spec, software, cloud, and a community is an even greater challenge. Um, mm -hmm. But, but. The better question is, how, how are you going to balance the community, that grassroots community, the maker community that you're talking to, and this buttoned up, tied down, corporate enterprise, big sale, that seems mm. to be that they're, they're, they're totally opposite of each other when it comes to how you position and market the product and sell the product. Right. Maybe I shouldn't have sold all my suits. <laughs> You're um, gonna have to. Well, it's okay. You can paint one on, right? Get uh, one new one. Yeah. Um, no. So <laughs> it's you know it's 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 not an uncommon problem because there are a lot a lot of companies that play this like infrastructure back end layer in tech are selling like in the software world. This is this is just the this is a very common paradigm, right? You sell to software engineers. Yep. Well, if you're a company like um, Twilio. Right, Twilio makes an API for connecting um, awesome basically company. phones to the internet. They're a wonderful company, and they built this incredible community around their product. And they sell to enterprise customers, and they sell to um, you know to startups. The reality is, all these companies kind of want the same thing, which is basically they want it to be easier. Right, mm -hmm. you something's hard, make it easy. Um, for a big company, that means it's 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 all about cost reduction and reducing risk. Right, and that's true regardless of where you're coming from. Um, so. 
luckily, I think it all lines up better than you might expect, especially because I think in the engineering world and hardware, there's this perception that you've got like makers over here and then you've got electrical engineers over here, right? And these are like two different groups. And I actually, I, have, I believe that it's a, it's a spectrum um, and there's ex- extremely high overlap between these groups. Um, it's just that they're marketed to very differently. Mm-hmm. So you've got Make Magazine over here and you've got EE Times over here and they treat those customers in different ways. But like they actually, like our, our videos and our marketing, like we're really tongue-in-cheek about stuff. We filmed our new video in the style of Wes Anderson. Like yeah. it's like, it's <laughs> silly, right? It's good um, though. But like people like that, right? Yeah. It's fun, and it's and like you know, enterprise com- customers like that stuff too. They don't they don't want to buy from buy products um, from boring companies um, <laughs> if they can choose. So like it actually lines up pretty well, um, and I also think that you know we we will be calling on like you know executives and talking about Internet of Things strategy and all of that. But that what we what we hope for is we can basically go to a company and we're talking to the CMO about how like having an internet connected product will fundamentally change the way that you think about your customers and the CMO turns to the engineering team is like so what do you think and they're like oh spark we love spark love spark's it. awesome yeah right that's kind of what we're going for yeah. um so i think it i think it lines up and in the end we're just we're just trying to make this stuff easier do you uh, do you have a few more minutes? I know we're about uh, up on time, but do you have a few more yeah, minutes? Yeah. Okay, oh, absolutely. Because I, 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 you know, you know this the the whole process um, of finding your first customer in the enterprise mm-hmm. side, because you know a, a lot of it has to do with uh, with that with that bubbling up of the community and and mm-hmm. and the reach of the community and and um, and and certainly the pedigree and the investors and then the way you you show up in suits and, and you know there's all of these combinations, but. But it's always, it always seems like a challenge. Like what you're selling is fundamental and core to the future of their business, right? So, mm-hmm. ha- has it been hard to go in, or what's what has been the story to go in and and talk to enterprises about what you guys are doing and their reaction? Yeah, well, so it's it is you you touched on something really important, which is that if you thank believe- God it's forty minutes into it, I guess. <laughs> All right, I'm slow, man. I'm slow, but I'll get one. Thanks. It's, it's 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 like. If you believe in the Internet of Things, if you believe in this promise that you know there's going to be 75 trillion devices connected or whatever in yeah. the next three years, yeah. the the like crazy numbers, the Internet of um, Everything, yes, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. If you believe in that, then then you must also believe that this is extremely important to a company, mm-hmm. and that maybe they should build it themselves, right? Maybe they shouldn't work with Spark. Maybe they should. Maybe they need to like, um, they need to have this expertise internally, right? And I actually think that is a, a that's something we've learned is extremely important. To an enterprise customer, and that's a that becomes a big asset for us as an open source company is because we can say to somebody, look, you should know this. This should be core to your company. However, today, you're you're a ways away from having like this internal expertise. And if you wait until you have the internal expertise, you're going to be in last place. Yeah. So you need, on one hand, you do need to be building your internal expertise. On the other hand, you need to be like getting to market. Um, and and so because we provide the infrastructure and we do it in an open source way, we we can basically say, look, we're here to help, and we can make you move fast. We can help you move faster, um, and and you retain the ownership and control that you need. And this, I think, is like I, I take a lot of inspiration from Amazon Web Services for this because like they run basically the internet right now, right. and um, I think it's so interesting that Netflix is built on Amazon Web Services. <laughs> right? Netflix and Amazon are competitors. <laughs> and somehow, Amazon has managed to be neutral in this way that has convinced companies like Netflix that it's okay to run your stuff on Amazon servers. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, 
it's unbelievable. And that's really what I think we need to accomplish is to is to basically prove like, look, we're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. We're not trying to own everything. We're not trying to own the data. We're not trying to own the products. You make a product. It's your product. It's your data. We're just trying to provide a valuable service to get the thing online. Um, and hopefully that means that you can move more quickly and, um, and uh, not, not see additional risk by working with, working with someone like Spark. Right. That's a good pitch. You know, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, because at one, one time, 30 years or 50 years in the future, Spark, somebody, your successor will flip the switch and everything that is Internet connected will be controlled by you, right? This is uh, SparkNet. Is that what you're trying to <laughs> exactly? Right. You're... It's yeah, and exactly. It, my pitch is sometimes it's Skynet, but not evil. <laughs> like that's right. <laughs> we um, are a good Skynet, yes. But like, I mean, you know, we do stuff like uh, um, uh, we're we're building out something a virtual private cloud model. So basically, you, you can we can say, oh, you want you want to run a device cloud like Spark, but you don't want to run it on our servers because you want to maintain control. Cool. We can spin up an instance of our of our infrastructure. Where you want it, right? On your own, right. on your own network, or you know, on, on premises, or on Google, or whatever. Um, we can do that for you because if that's what you want, we can do it, yeah. right? Like that's we're not trying to like maintain control and ownership. Um, now, when we do that, we might we might talk to you about doing things like a federated cloud infrastructure, where basically the clouds can talk to each other. And now we're getting like, now we're getting silly, but like you know, because we say, well, you do probably later want your stuff to talk to other people's stuff, so. Maybe we should put in a mechanism where the clouds can talk, so that like all this stuff can still be connected with one another. And but that's all possible, right? It's just the Internet of Things is a routing problem. It's like right. I have an infinite number of people with smartphones and computers, and an infinite number of things that are going to be connected. And and the hardest problem is making sure the messages get to the right place and back. And that's fundamentally what we do, right? We solve the routing problem of the Internet of Things. Summarize. Great way to summarize that. And uh, so, I mean, when, I love it. When you when you go out to these customers, um, is your this might be a dumb question, but is 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 Spark a long term solution? Is it a, is it is it a short term interim solution for these large companies where they're at some point going to outgrow you, um, or, or is it uh, is it you're in you're in kind of uh, deal? I think it's it's a long term solution that will that will change. Um, because right now, if you think of the stack and like it's like okay, you've got the super low level like infrastructure stuff here, and then you build on top all this like more pretty like yeah. data visualization stuff on top of it. Like um, the bottom layer will become commoditized at some point, right? It will no longer. Right now, it's tricky to get things connected to the internet. Yeah. Um, it will at some point stop being tricky, and partially, I hope that will come from our open source work. But at some point, like that, will no longer be valuable a valuable service, and we'll move up to the next layer. And I think that our goal is to is to continue to stay relevant to our customers by changing as the industry changes, because we know it will. So the uh, the product that we offer today is not going to be the same product as it is ten uh, as ten years from now. Because if it is, then we will have uh, like we will have lost. Yes. Um, so that's my goal. Like I, I do hope we have long term relationships with our customers, but it's not always going to be the same. And we're basically Every time we tackle a certain problem, we finish. We're gonna we're gonna say, okay, what's the next challenge that we can solve, and um, and that way we keep moving forward with them. When you when you talk to your investors about yeah. this, um, are they are they as open like these conversations that we're having right now? Like, so maybe one of them or two of them will listen to this. Um, uh, but are they as open to this kind of this kind of evolutionary growth or evolutionary business model as you're describing here? 
Yeah, and I think because I think that um, they trust, they have a trust in our team that we have that we know what we're talking about, and we have a good way, we have a good approach, and we we tip. So far, we tend to pull things off pretty well. Like we tend we tend to at some point get it right. Maybe not the first time, but eventually, sure. right? Yeah. And um, the, and everybody, I think, agrees that the Internet of Things is um, is still extremely poorly defined. So I think if you go into an investor pitch and you like sort of like, well, here's how it's going to work, right? Um, any good investor will know that you're that you're just full of crap, right? Um, because it's not defined. Um, and uh, and so I think we do have our investors are um, they there's there's a lot of trust there, um, which I think is really important in a space like this where. Uh, it's a complete mess, and uh, we really have no idea what it's going to look like five years from now. But today, we think we're providing a valuable service, and we plan to stay nimble and, and you know keep rolling with the punches. How how, uh, how competitive is it? How uh, right now? I mean, because I I think that we talk about it like it's here, um, right. But for for many people, for the majority of people, they look at this IoT as the fringe, right? As the fringe of the fringe right now. So how right. How, how competitive are you seeing it, especially as you move from from Minneapolis to San Francisco? That's there's a reason you do that, right? Yeah, I mean it's competitive in this like kind of weirdly abstract way. Um, it's competitive in the theory of Internet of Things. It's like like I, I find fascinating. So there's all seen. Um, it uh, used to be all joined, now all seen. Mm -hmm. um, open source initiative uh, um, from Qualcomm. Yep. Uh, started by Qualcomm, and now it's part of the. I think it's uh, part of the Eclipse Foundation. Um, uh, but in any case, um, and then recently there was another consortium that basically has a contrasting open source set of standards for the Internet of Things. And we're in the, we're in like that part, right? right? Where like people are being like, this is how it should work. No, this is how it should work. And none of these companies are actually building product, right? Like this is just a lot of like big companies talking and positioning. And um writing papers and blog posts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we're in this like um like the big behemoths are like um kind of battling for like strategy. And in the meantime all the little startups are like just pushing forward and actually making making and shipping product, um, and like I think that the um, the startups are going to end up winning the day in a lot of cases, right? Not all cases, but the, like they there's a compelling value proposition there, um, and the big companies that choose to be nimble, that choose to act like startups. Um, I've actually talked. I'm friends with a bunch of the people who done sort of other open source things, and we've talked about creating a rebel alliance of like the <laughs> like. Oh, you guys think no? Here's how, here's how we think it should should work. I love little it. tiny startups that like you know are actually doing something. The um, Rebel Alliance, nice, right? Um, so like you know it's it's kind of competitive and it's kind of not at the same time. Um, it is a tricky landscape. You've got a lot of people playing the card of they want to be the interface, right? So you've got Apple HomeKit, you've got like um, Wink, uh, the GE quirky thing, um, and um, I think uh, there are companies that see value in being that, being in that position, and we kind of we're kind of trying to play this game of well, you want to make a product that's like you as a company don't want to be beholden to Apple or beholden to one of these things. You want to be sort of standalone, but you also want to work. You want to play nice, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, you can build a product with Spark, and it can it can 
interact with HomeKit, and it can be you know interfaced with uh, uh, interface with Wink, um, but it still stands alone, right? right? It doesn't require those things um, to to function. Yeah. What do you think is the uh, What do you think is the the biggest thing, the best thing that can happen for this industry that will propel you guys to mm. that lead position that you want to be in? Is it is it is it an announcement coming from Apple? Is it an announcement coming from Google? Is it Amazon? Is there something that that has to trigger in order to accelerate this the adoption and the growth of the industry? Yeah, um, there's a there's a so we talk a lot about standards, right? This is like a huge topic in the Internet of Things, mm -hmm. and typically that comes to the protocol level because basically we haven't figured out what language these things are going to talk. <laughs> um, uh, but I actually think there's a deeper problem, um, which isn't at the uh, protocol layer, it's at the semantics layer, um, which basically means, I don't, you know, ignore which language it's talking. Let's say it's English, right? Mm -hmm. The products talk, speak English. My coffee maker, a coffee maker should always brew, right? That's a semantic distinction for, for what a coffee maker is, right? Yep. A coffee maker brews. And there are other things that brew, uh, tea kettles brew, right? And and if we could agree on that and sort of like basically say, okay, well, I don't, I don't even really care how they're going to talk, but let's just agree that coffee makers brew, right? right? And now that means that when I make an app, an alarm clock app, and I want to make the alarm clock brew a cup of coffee, I don't care whose coffee it is, right? I don't care like which which of the various companies it is. It brews, You're right? Right. Um, There's a brew command. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like actually, I think something really important that that everybody avoids in these conversations. They're all talking protocol, but, but what we should be talking about is semantics. Um, and that's actually something I want to push forward with the Rebel Alliance. Um, is basically be like, okay, guys, let's agree on some things, right? There's there's appliances, there's lights, there's security systems, there's toys, um, and there's this tree of things that they can or can't do. So one coffee maker, they all brew, but this coffee maker has a foamer, right? And right. that's like a distinction. Um, uh, you know that's a branch of the coffee makers, right? right? This is that's the tricky stuff that yeah. I hope that I hope to see figured out. That's what I can imagine. The Rebel Alliance semantics, right? That's right. It's, it's super sexy, right? Like the, <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah, let's define the semantics of the Internet of Things. That will not be the title of this episode. Just so you know, right? Right. Nobody <laughs> will watch this episode. We declare semantics as the problem. Not not going to happen. Um, but it, but it, it's true though that when you start to think about these things, right? There are some certain certain things that are required, like on off brew, don't brew. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. I, I I agree. We just won't call it that episode, and I and I don't. I'm not making light <laughs> of it because I think it's very very important. Um, what what have I not asked you that's important here? Is there anything that I, we haven't touched that you're like, why isn't this idiot asking me this question? Oh, man. I mean, I think we've 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 touched on a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of things. You know, I think one of the um, one sort of um, important area of the Internet of Things is that a lot of the great applications of this stuff, like we talk a lot about the smart home because we're all consumers and we get, I get why uh, like my lights should or should not be connected, right? And I can have an opinion on that. But actually a lot of the value in the Internet of Things is in commercial industrial applications that none of us will ever hear about, right? right? Like um, my water purification center should probably be Internet connected, right? And my, the filters there should, should, like there should be sensors on those that know when the filters are done and I will get better water. I might never be aware of that, um, but that is actually where probably 90% of the value of the Internet of Things lies is in these like hidden, you know, sort of um, the, 
the world will become connected in a way that we don't even re- we don't even realize, and it already is in a lot of cases. Um, and so I think that that's one thing to keep in mind is the Internet of Things is much broader than the smart home, um, and um, and especially when entrepreneurs and companies that are getting into this space are trying to think of where opportunities may lie. Um, you know, if you sort of pull back from the sexy consumer stuff and think about where the like where the money's actually going to be, um, there are a lot of really interesting opportunities out there. It's, it's a very, very, very good point. And, and um, because those are the things that and those are sunk costs, right? So mm-hmm. the consumers may not notice, but the businesses to implement it will save the money. But there's an upfront cost in order to be able to do that. And, and that I, sometimes I think that stalls industries, right? Because mm-hmm. you're right, like they're doing something right now with, say, water purification and filtering. They're doing something right now that is adequate more than right. adequate there's not a lot of complaints every once in a while you have to do a boil water advisory and there yeah. and it's perfectly fine and now we're talking about taking something investing hundreds of thousands maybe millions of dollars into mm-hmm. this internet of things to eliminate uh, you know or to make the purification system much better um, right. but that's a sunk cost and i think that that's what this industry is up against is the sunk cost nature of this um, right. at the beginning right. they'll benefit from it long term right right exactly yeah. You know, Sorry. it's it's fascinating. I, I, I mean, well, I could speak like I could speak to you about this forever because it's um, you know because the industry isn't clearly defined. We can theorize about all this kind of stuff, and uh, right. you know, we could talk about the Internet of Things around your animals and doors. So, but I'm going to cut it here. But I'm going to have you back on all as right. this conversation continues because it's so interesting to get the perspective from the hardware software cloud uh, side that uh, Spark is doing. So, where should we send people, Zach, for more information? Yeah, so our website is spark.io. Um, we sell our dev kits there, and we also have a lot of great information about what we do. So, great place to check us out. And and uh, you know, one of the big things that that uh, that these guys are doing very very effectively, and we mentioned it throughout this episode, is is talking to the maker community. Is is that enabling the maker community? And I think that's a fabulous marketing exercise. Is that uh, there's a whole bunch of people out there looking for some products like this to innovate mm-hmm. this way. Um, and, and keeping the price affordable to that community is yep. a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant strategy. And I, I, we didn't talk about it enough, but I love that you guys have done that. So uh, if you are listening to this and, and this is of interest, man, it's like Arduino. It, it's, it's uh, you, you know, it, these, are, these are the technologies that, can, that will power the future. And yep. certainly you guys out there for 39 bucks, it's no way to go do it. Go and experiment. <laughs> Fail fast, right? And then uh, and then rebuild. So uh, yep. go to spark.io, S-P-A-R-K.io. Zach, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. All right.